Welcome to the Mothers Who Work podcast. My name is Joycelyn Akufo. I'm the founder and editor of Mothers Who Work, the lifestyle website for mums who are serious about making money. Now, today I have with me Paula Roan Adrian, who is a family law barrister working with land building. Good morning, Paula. Good morning, Joycelyn. Thank you for inviting me on. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. And so today we will be talking about racism, but from a different perspective. Obviously, um, you know, there's been a lot in the news about recent events and, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter movement has been going for some time and it needs to continue. But today we will be looking at how to speak to children about racism, which is important because it starts from, from if we can educate the young, it can change the future, basically. So I thought we'd just start by defining what racism is and I'm just using a very basic definition of what racism is using the Oxford Dictionary and it says that racism is a noun and it's basically prejudice, discrimination or antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership of a particular racial or ethnic group typically one that is a minority or marginalized. And there's another point there, the belief that different races possess distinct characteristics, abilities or qualities, especially so as to distinguish them as inferior or superior to another. And so that gives us a foundation, I guess, in terms of what the term actually means. Food for thought, I'm sure, for many of our listeners. So, you know, as I was saying, we will be talking about how to speak to children about racism. You know, now that they're at home, many of them obviously in lockdown, some are going back into schools, which is great, but they're probably more exposed to a lot of discussions around the family and so on. Obviously the news has highlighted a lot of what's been going on in recent events with Mr. Floyd, who unfortunately was killed by the police. So, what are your thoughts on this, Paula? It's just, first of all, my, my heartfelt um, sympathies go out to the Floyd family and to all those families who have lost loved ones um, in similar situations to the killing of Mr. Floyd. And let's all be very clear about that. He was killed uh, on the evening of May the 25th. Um, and there is a very strong belief and we will discover whether there is any truth behind that belief mm -hmm. um, as the criminal proceedings ensue. But we are all of the very clear, strong belief that he lost his life because of the colour of his skin, that the colour of his skin played a role um, in his very sad and untimely demise. Mm -hmm. And knowing that, because this isn't the first time it's happened, there has been time and time and time again where we have seen this occur. Mm -hmm. And we look to the powers, one of the pillars of our society, that's law and justice, mm -hmm. to uphold uh, this wrong. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, time and time again, uh, the legal system has failed 
those. And that is why we are seeing this, these protests. That is why we are seeing um, the anger and frustration and sadness being displayed, not just in Minneapolis, but all around the world. Yeah. Because um, racism is it's around us it's not just something that happens to a person over there or you know to, to someone over there it happens to the person who's next to us you know to our friend to our mother to our father to our son to our daughter etc and so it's no surprise that we are now as parents questioning how we're going to have to address this horrible horrific topic with our children Mm -hmm. But let me tell you something, just in answering that question, how do we talk to our children about racism? Mm -hmm. Most of our children already know about racism. <laughs> oh, yes. Definitely. You know, <laughs> most of them already oh, yes. know. Mm. Um, and so it's not going to be a shock to them mm -hmm. for you to have this discussion. They could be toddlers going to nursery. Mm. they are being taught well what do you like look like describe your hair to me describe yeah. you know describe what does mummy and daddy uh, look like draw a picture of mummy and daddy and you know they go through the coloring pencils and they can't find the coloring pencil that matches what mummy and daddy looks like mm. so you know even from a young age two and three we we're already being told that we look different Mm -hmm. And we're already being asked to address that. And to conform in some instances as well, in ways that aren't always feasible. Hair being one example. <laughs> yeah. A very basic example. Mm. That's a classic example, isn't it, mm -hmm. of hair and, and how a person can express themselves, mm. and not necessarily in the way they dress, because they're children and we obviously, you know, dress them, uh, we tell them what to wear, but yeah. absolutely in, in regards to their hair and, you know, the classic styles that you would see for Afro hair um, mm. and whether, uh, you know, you can have your hair out when you go to school or whether it needs to be tied away or mm. why another child wants to constantly touch your hair or why the teacher wants to yeah. take your hair out and do your yeah. hair. Yeah. <laughs> And understanding that our hair grows out from our heads the way that you see it. Yes. <laughs> you know, our hair doesn't grow the same in terms of the texture. It's not the same texture. There is a difference because we yes. have a different hair type because we've chosen to do something with it. And, you know, even if that was a choice, it's, that's a choice in, in, in and of itself. You know, but being asked to change the way your natural presentation is, the yes. way God made you, as it were, is quite an interesting one. Yeah, I like I the fact that you mentioned that children know about racism because it's a, it's a concern. Well, not a concern. It's something that I often wonder, especially in primary school children, whether the teachers are aware that children are sensitive to these things and they do go home and make comments at home and ask questions about how they're being treated, you know, yes. why they are being treated differently, or maybe, you know, that the teacher always picks a particular type of children and yes. black children don't get picked to answer and things like that. You know, and I'm putting it out there because I feel that whether it's done intentionally or not, in the classroom, there has to be a sensitivity, you know, for all the children and their needs and the compounding impact it can have to have such a negative experience daily. 
you're absolutely right. There is the conscious bias and there is the subconscious bias. Um, and both of those you have to be very aware of. And unfortunately, what I haven't come across um, in my professional practice is teachers, social workers, experts who are being trained in regards to identifying the conscious bias and the subconscious bias and how it impacts on your ability to converse with somebody who is not of your race. And we see that happening all the time. I can give you examples even of myself in 2020 as a black barrister walking into a room which is filled with other white male and female barristers. If I go into the room, I am asked by one person, oh, am I the client or am I the social worker? I mean, it's never the question, oh, are you so-and-so's barrister? It's Mm. always, you know, who I must be this person or I must be that person. It's never I am the barrister. There you have a very classic sub conscious bias being played out and you will take that white barrister who's asked me that question who will then go on to have to represent somebody of color now how can they represent that person of color if as an intelligent educated person in 2020 they are making an assumption about me yeah 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 and this is the thing um it's so ingrained um so ingrained there's a researcher called peggy uh, mcintosh who talks about a knapsack of privilege basically where Mm. it's carried um without the consciousness of it being carried those of the white demographic and they're not aware of the privilege it gives them you know and so it is very subconscious in many many regards and not only that but these are people who would tell you very clearly that they are not racist and they yeah. would they would be they would be uh, you know it would be an, an absurdity to them for you to suggest that, that, that they're racist they would be horrified yeah. uh, for you to suggest that and they would never challenge themselves which is the other mm-hmm. important thing they would mm-hmm. never you know look at what's happening with George Floyd look at what's happening um, around the world and say to themselves okay well maybe I need to challenge myself maybe I need mm-hmm. to ask myself questions mm-hmm. maybe I need to look at the books on my children's bookshelves all the films that my children watch, um, Mm -hmm. you know, or the words that I use around my children, but when the doors are closed, you know, I'm not out on the streets so I can say what I want at home. Mm -hmm. These people will not challenge themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's actually, for me, having that discussion about racism starts with yourself. And can you challenge yourself? Can you make yourself uncomfortable about the discussion? Racism isn't just about sitting on somebody's neck with your knee or killing them because they're black and they're in the wrong area or calling them a black this or a black that. You know, there's such a covert way that it's these days. I mean, obviously you have those who are very abrupt about their racism, proud about it and happy to hurl insults and and violence. Those people still exist, unfortunately, But sometimes it's done in such a covert way that it's being done, but you can't actually say, oh, you're being racist because there's no evidence that you've insulted or caused any physical um, violence against that person. That doesn't mean racism isn't being um, perpetrated. Absolutely Um, not. 
Mm. Well, we call that microaggression, um, microaggression. And let me give you an example of a, a racist, microaggressive person. Um, oh, Paula, she, she's so aggressive, isn't she? You know, she's, she's quite angry. She's always got a chip on her shoulder, particularly when you talk about colour. I mean, God, don't talk about colour with Paula because, honestly, she'll just go, go, go. That making you feel uncomfortable about mm. raising something where anybody else would feel quite comfortable about raising it or calling somebody out, you are made to feel that if you call it out, well, it's clearly not racism and yeah. it's clearly just the problem lays with you, you know, mm. and that, and you're so absolutely right, which is why. I don't know if you're aware of the story about Amy Cooper and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and Mr. Cooper, Cameron Cooper. They were in New York in the, in the park and he was the bird watcher who had asked Amy Cooper to put her dog on a lead in an area where her dog was supposed to have been on the lead um, and uh, an argument ensued. And so what she did was she threatened Mr. Cooper. She said, I'm going to call the police and I'm going to tell them that an African-American is threatening me. Oh, and yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and he managed to take this. Mm -hmm. And I was so glad that he managed yeah. to catch this yeah. on tape. Why? Yeah. Because this is the type of racism, isn't it, that we mm -hmm. as black people face every day. Yeah. I'm going to call you out about your colour. And mm -hmm. I know I can call you out about your colour because... Mm -hmm. When I speak to another white person, they're going to automatically feel sorry for me and sympathise with me. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, what I found interesting, um, you know, with the George Floyd incident and obviously the protests, when you look at the protests that have happened in the UK, it speaks of actually this is happening here as well. That's why we're all coming out to protest because it's not something that's just happening in America. Just looking at the exclusion rates, you know, since we're talking about how to speak to children about racism, I thought that I would sort of focus my research data on children, yes. um, especially primary school children you know, 496 temporary exclusions for racism came from primary schools during 2017 to 2018. That figure had risen 40% from the figures in 2006 to 2007, you know, where there were 350 race, racially biased exclusions. It's just when you see figures like that and you think, hold on a second, these are ethnic minorities. We are a small portion of this country in yes. terms of number. Why is this targeting going on? And you look at things like the McPherson report, uh, which came after the Stephen Lawrence murder, which made recommendations across all institutions, including schools. And one of the recommendations in schools was that Ofsted would look at racism in schools and that it could be reported. But then 10 years after in its review, all mention of racism had been removed. Ofsted don't, as part of the feedback parents give about schools, racism has been removed because it was felt that parents giving feedback on this uh, was giving a negative press to the schools. But then if the racism exists, it needs to be highlighted. 
you know, it's quite interesting that you get a lot of this, the research, the reports that go out, recommendations are made, the issues are highlighted, but it doesn't get resolved because the gaze gets turned away from it after a short while, or it's just highlighted and it's like, okay, you know, we're aware of it. And then life seemingly just carries on. And this is why I think, you know, we cannot allow, and I'm choosing my words really carefully here, we cannot allow the death of another black man at the hands of a white police officer to go unanswered you know, we've got the pandemic that is COVID-19. We know that ordinarily we shouldn't be having these mass gatherings. Mm. Uh, We know that as an ethnic group that black people are suffering twice as as much in relation to deaths as our white counterparts. Mm. Um, So, and yet we still feel that it's important to march. We still feel that it's important to protest and we still must feel that it's important to educate our children and educate our community in regards to race because it's not going to go away just because we ignore it. And we know that from history that ignoring a problem just means that it festers and gets bigger. And hence the protests, you know, who knew that during lockdown (laughs) and social distancing, you know, instead of countries focusing on how to heal, you know, a lot of the damage and that has been caused through the loss of life, business and all of that, this would be something that would come up. It just shows how passionate and important an issue it is that needs to be addressed so how do we speak to children about racism so we we do it directly Mm -hmm. we do it directly and and i mean that regardless of their age because as i said even if you take a, a toddler in nursery they are already being asked to identify themselves within their community and and it's a subconscious thing And this is what we need to be aware of, that we're putting these messages into our child's sponge-like brain, because that's what their brains are like up until they're seven. It's very much taught messages without questioning. Mm -hmm. And so if we make sure that we are part of that subconscious education right from an early age, we can do that very easily by introducing books, literature, art, ensuring that what they see on a day-to-day basis is not just one colour, you know, be it black, be it white, be it whatever, that they have to understand that they are going to be moving, living, existing within what is now a small world. You know, the Amy Cooper story went round the world in minutes. George Floyd's Um, untimely demise went around the world within minutes. You can't hide now behind um, some, you know, a a screen. Racism is out there and we need to challenge it. And we can do that in our house. We can do that with our friends. You know, we can do that within ourselves. So ask your two-year-old and three-year-old, you know, what do you see? Who is this person? Why is that person in the the computer game looks like this? why does that person in your book look like that or in your comic, you know, and, and talk to them about it. Do they look like your friends? Do you have any friends who look like that? You know, what would you do if you had a friend like that? How would you treat them? Would you let them ride your bike? You know, it can be really basic things like that. Mm 
And then as your child grows, and if you've got a, 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 you know, a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, a child who has access to social media, don't allow social media to parent your child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please, oh, yeah. I beg you. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. ask your child what is it that they're seeing on social media and get them to talk about it. And yes, sometimes the bog standard response will be, I don't know, nothing. But you know what? Trust me, the question is there. It's in their head and they're thinking about it. And as you push them more to explore the topic with you, you will start to get more back from them. And they will learn that this is a topic that they can talk to you about. Because that's my other concern is that um, parents don't think that they know enough to have the conversation with their child or that they have one particular view. Are you referring to non-ethnic minority parents? I'm referring to all parents. I'm referring to all parents. And let me tell you why. Because as a black parent, I can teach my child about how racism impacts on me. Mm -hmm. But I cannot teach my child unless I educate myself about what a white person or Chinese person thinks about racism or why they have an understanding in the way that they do about racism. I can't teach them that alone. That's a very valid point, actually. You can't, and it's true. And also, it shouldn't all be from the negative, which can be difficult, especially if you're an ethnic minority who has experienced a lot of racism. You know, it's about equipping your child with some tools on how to cope, you know, and and giving them that understanding from the other side's perspective can help, you know. I completely agree with that, actually. It is about, as I said, challenging yourself. It is about feeling brave enough. I don't like to use the word brave, but, but, but wanting to challenge your child and their understanding about what they're seeing. Because as I said, they, know, they already know what racism is. They don't know that it's called that. But they see what's happening in the playground. They hear things being said by other children. So a lot of the time, it's not going to come as a surprise to them. But but, but what I want to express to parents out there is that they shouldn't shy away from talking about it because it's that shying away from talking about it that is actually allowing racism to fester. It's allowing the ignorance to exist and we have no excuse to allow that ignorance to exist yeah what about the reporting of racism so like for example um for children after these conversations and they feel that they um are experiencing racism you know um in in the school environment because often well that's where they spend most of their day anyway outside of school it could it's it's in the parents' jurisdiction, I guess, and the criminal, uh, the legal structures, if they report it to the police and so on. But in school, uh, where the school has a care of duty to look after all children, if that child feels like they are being, you know, mistreated because of their race, what can parents do legally? Yes, well, every school should have a policy in place where you are able to raise a grievance. And that grievance would go ordinarily to the head teacher in the first instance. But there is also, remember, the independent body, which is the school governors, 
And so, again, that grievance could be raised with the school governors. And there, and there should, as I said, be a policy in place where you would follow that grievance procedure. Mm-hmm. If you are unhappy about the outcome of your grievance, then the next stage would be to take it to your local authority who have that overarching duty of care to not only um, your child, but also to you in respect of the education that your child receives within that local community. Mm -hmm. And then if you still remain uh, unsatisfied with the outcome that your local authority has provided, you can take it as far as judicially reviewing the decision of the local authority. So it can go to court if necessary. Mm-hmm. There is good. nothing that, that should stand in your way mm-hmm. of achieving justice. And with the children who are excluded, a lot of them are, you know, just cast away to pupil referral units where the education experience is quite different because clearly they're with children who have specific needs, a whole raft of range of needs. What can a parent do so if their child is being targeted in this way, they can go to the head teacher um, who would have signed off that exclusion, then go to the governors and then go to the local authority to raise a grievance, basically. Yes, yes, absolutely. But, but you, make a, you make a good point, don't you? That, of course, uh, that, that line uh, of people that you have to go through um, are, are no doubt some of the people who would have sanctioned the exclusion uh, and the appeals process that you would have to go to. And so as a parent, you will feel like, uh, and I, I, you know, I, I don't say this lightly, but you will feel like you are banging your head against a brick wall. It will be a fight um, uh, be under no circumstances. It will be a fight. Um, and, and that is why I think so many of these cases just go unheard because you have to understand when it might not be your only child. You have other children who you are caring for. You have to get up and you have to go to work. You have to keep a roof over your head. Um, and just the weight of bureaucracy that, that, that um, bears down on you in such a situation, you, you probably feel as if you have nowhere to turn. Um, and so, you know, there are forums out there. There will be um, black um, community action groups out there who can assist you and, and support you through this, this process. I won't name any in particular because they might be individual ones within your local community. Yeah. If you go onto your local authority website, um, they're actually quite good for identifying um, support groups within your community who can assist you. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you something. If there isn't a support group in your community that exists, then start one. Mm-hmm. Just a Facebook group has a start, isn't it? Absolutely. Page. Group is probably better because you can make it private um, as opposed yeah. to the page, you know, yes. and get people to share it. That's a really good point, um, Paula, actually. Sometimes we just have to take aff- affirmative action, really, and you'd be surprised, you Absolutely. know, how people will help. Because you feel so lonely when you're going through the problem yourself. You feel so lonely, um, but, but you'd be surprised how many others out there are struggling with the same difficulties that you are and yeah. who are prepared to help and support you through, through that mm-hmm. difficult time. One thing that I always suggest to anyone experiencing anything, be it in the workplace or in school, is to keep a diary. 
you know, write down all instant incidents, write down to words that have been said, not just the actions or, you know, a recall of what's happened. But on such and such a day, so-and-so said this, so-and-so did this, I said this, this was the outcome. You know, obviously speaking with a barrister, um, you can, <laughs> what value that can bring if it ever went to court and so on. I always always advise my clients you're so right about this i always advise them that during court proceedings they should absolutely keep a diary of the conversations that they have with other professionals etc and the reason why you do that is because you're actually not allowed to record people so you're not allowed to take voice notes of people you're not allowed to record them Mm -hmm. and so but you are allowed to go into a meeting or have a telephone conversation and at the end of that telephone conversation say please be aware i've noted the conversation in my diary and I will be referring to it if needs be at a future date. There's nothing that stops you from doing that. And we absolutely do refer to notes like that when we're in court. And it gives a really good track because, you know, um, when somebody's un- I don't want to say under attack but you know if you're the recipient of a lot of racial abuse and so on caught up in the emotion of it or you might not remember everything and when once that moment of explaining what's happened has passed you don't really want to be in a position where you say oh yeah you know I forgot to mention this yeah and- absolutely and you know what the other thing is as well we are actually so used to dealing dealing with racism on a day-to-day basis we are so used to shrugging things off and putting them to one side that we 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 don't even realize half the time that what we've come across is is an act of of where another person would very clearly identify that as being racism because we're just so used to it we just forget about it whereas when you actually sit down and record things that happen to you and you look back and you think oh my gosh, you know, and that's why you'll often find that it will be your white friend or your white colleague who comes to you and says, well, Paula, did that, did that not make you feel uncomfortable? Because I felt uncomfortable watching you go through it. And and don't you do that? And you just go, oh, don't worry about it. You know, don't worry. (laughs) Oh goodness. You've just reminded me of an incident that happened in one of my previous workplaces I was going through a procedure because of one of my reportees and it was just the union rep at the time basically said to me, you know, actually, I think if anyone's being harassed and bullied, it's you. But as you say, as a black woman in the corporate world, just in life in general, you know, not just working corporately, you do build a thick skin because from a very early on, you mentioned nursery a lot. So from a very young age, you become acclimatized to a certain level of racism, discrimination and so on. And it should not be the case. But unfortunately, that is often the reality. And sometimes you don't even realize you've become desensitized to it until something really serious happens which is why it's important for every parent, black, white, Asian, you know, whichever, to keep the conversations open with their children, as you've highlighted. Often, you know, after a long day at school, I know my two, I mean, they're a lot older. I've got one in year six and one in year 10. So it's not like when they're younger where they'll give you a blow by blow description 
oh, yes. This. <laughs> and you might wish you hadn't asked the question, but you're interested <laughs> all the same. Often it tends to focus on one particular area, you know, what happened with the netball match or how was that chemistry test and so on. But it's important that we let them have an open platform, you know, to raise these things. Absolutely. Both of my children go to very good schools and there's just been the flippant remarks from students. When my daughter was in year four, one of the boys in her class basically turned and said to her, oh, I really wish it was still the slavery days. I was just astounded because I knew that it couldn't have come from him. Where would Mm. he get that from? They don't teach slavery in the national curriculum at that age. It's a topic I know they hadn't even addressed. (laughs) It could only have come from outside of school. And interestingly, that boy's mum Um, My daughter had to move to another school because her school closed, basically. Um, She went to a prep school and it closed. She moved to another prep. And that was one of the mums that just wouldn't speak to me. And I didn't understand. As a new mum, at least say hello. But I didn't really care that much, to be honest. But when my daughter came home and mentioned those remarks you know, all of a sudden my mind just started to go on, <laughs> you know, you just say, oh my goodness, is that why she's not speaking to me? Does she have an issue? Is it an inherent thing? Obviously I've got no proof that it's coming from her. I know that obviously an adult has had some sort of com- uh, conversation where that boy has picked something up could be anyone, not necessarily his parents or the family, um, but, you know, likely to be so. Mm. But enough for a child in year four to decide that he wishes slavery days were still going on. <laughs> My but, but not only that, it's that the child in year four felt that it was something that he could say out loud. Yeah. So he hadn't been given the impression that it was a wrong thing to say. And that's what worries me. And that's why you know that that's come from the home. And I'm, I'm going to lay it out there because, <laughs> you know, there is no way that my child would leave the home and get away with calling or, or saying something about somebody else and not know that mummy wouldn't like it yeah, because she, they, they would. Yeah. You know? And the way that he was able to deliver that as a, a white child to a black child, you know, in the context, meaning that he understood what he was saying as young as he is, uh, or was, because they're two years older now. And that's the concern, really, you know. Um, But another example of it is um, with my son, there's um, a lot of being called an Oreo that's being thrown about, Mm. you know, where in my day, you might have been called a coconut, Uh, Or a bounty. Or a bounty. Yes. And I wonder if they understand what they're saying, you know. So you're saying that a black child presents as a white child. What on earth does that mean? (laughs) I know. know. It it, is a concept that that confuses me. And it's something that, um, funnily enough, I've never been called it myself. Mm -hmm. I wonder why, thinking back, because I've been in situations where I've been around people who have called people that Mm -hmm. Um, and you would think you know growing up in the East End as I was 
always knowing that I was going to do the job that I did, why nobody ever threw that disgusting comment at me, but they didn't. And and clearly is a comment thrown at you to insult you. Mm. But how or why it's said, I have no idea because it suggests, doesn't it, that as a black person, I can only be a particular thing and say a particular thing and act a particular way. And that's another black person telling me that. Now, yeah. why are you saying yeah. That as black people, we should only be and do Mm -hmm. dress, you know. uh, uh, Why? Surely you are reiterating, repeating that racist message. In the example that I've used, it's become such a normalised term that even white children are saying it to black children. It's so bizarre, but I mention it because I believe that some teachers will listen to this because of the nature of the podcast topic. And these are some things to sort of pick up on and make changes and sort of pull children up on and say, actually, that's unacceptable, you know, because they might, I don't know if they necessarily understand because the urban dictionary and all the rest of it um, that's thrown around. Sometimes adults don't understand what children are talking about all the time. Oreo being new coconut. Yes. I think a lot would understand that to be a derogatory um, term. Yes. So it's interesting. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing, isn't it? As, as the going back to that microaggression that we were talking about earlier about how, as you say, a, a school teacher might want to pull this up if they hear it in class. If I was to say, oh, they're so gay. Oh, you're so gay. Yeah. You know, in the same way that we are told very clearly that that's another example of, of microaggressive homophobia you give us a very good example of microaggressive racism and the fact that one black child is saying it to another black child or whoever, you know, is again, you know, yes, they may understand the context, but they don't understand the concept. And Mm. that is where it comes back to us to Mm. educate our children. Yeah. And explain the concept and explain to them that actually this is highly unacceptable you see highly unacceptable and I think with that understanding where it's explained to a child at a young enough age where they have an understanding of what's right and what's wrong and once it's positioned as being wrong it would stop you see when it's left to much older they've often formed their bias, their opinion. So it, it's a lot more effort to get them to change that. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much, Paula. Honestly, this is such a loaded topic. Like we could spend the day. <laughs> we could, yes. <laughs> Nothing. So any takeaways before we wrap up for our listeners, any takeaways? I would just ask your listeners to not be fearful to challenge Yeah. You know, if we challenge a lot of the time, we're fearful that we're going to get the, Oh, don't be ridiculous or, Oh, don't be silly. You're just being so sensitive. Mm -hmm. But I would say to, to your listeners, don't be fearful to challenge because Mm -hmm. in challenging, we are not only pushing our own boundaries, but making sure that we push the boundaries of others as well. For listeners out there, you can get Paula on her Twitter handle. Do you mind if I share that? Yes, please. Thank you. (laughs) It's at Family Law Guru UK. So 
on Twitter, look for at Family Law Guru UK. Stay abreast with Family Law and all other things that she shares. Thank you so much, Paula. This has been really helpful and insightful. And I'm sure our listeners will get a lot out of it. So please remember to share this if you are listening. Um, Share it in your social media platforms so that others can learn and understand how to speak to children about racism and let's solve this issue once and for all. Thank you so much.